0: Now, read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 19, on page 532 of your Book of Praise. There we find God's Word summarized as follows. Why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended into heaven to manifest Himself there as head of His Church, through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ, our head, benefit us? First, by His Holy Spirit, He pours out heavenly gifts upon us, His members. Second, by His power, He defends and preserves us against all enemies. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. After the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 42, the stances one, two, three, four, five, and six. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, The Lord's Day under consideration this afternoon twice mentions our enemies. In answer 51, we are told that God, by his power, defends and preserves us against all enemies. And in answer 52, we confess that God will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation. That's strong language. Who do you think those enemies are? Do you have any? Perhaps you think that in this day and age, that doesn't really apply to us. We really do not have any enemies, do we? Oh sure, in the rhetoric leading up to the election of tomorrow, Those who have Christian beliefs are being ridiculed and are told that they have no place in politics. Some political pundits even express outright hatred against Christians and imply that anyone who believes in the judgment of God upon sinners should be relegated to the loony bin. But the catechism speaks about our sorrow and persecution. We don't really experience that, do we? We may experience some ridicule, but we can still practice our faith. We can come to church here every Sunday and worship God and freedom. We do not have to fear for our lives. We don't have to worry about a mob of hateful people breaking down the doors of this church while the police turn a blind eye. That happens in other countries, but not here. And that was much different from the time that the catechism itself was written. For that, indeed, was a time of persecution and sorrow. Perhaps it is that time that this Lord's Day refers to. For it speaks in answer 52 about eagerly awaiting the second coming of our Savior in all my sorrow and persecution. It's understandable that the authors at that time wrote what they did. For when they wrote these words during the 16th century, the people had it pretty rough. People were disenfranchised and killed, and they were even burned at the stake and boiled alive because they opposed the Roman Catholic authorities we can't identify with that can we we cannot even identify with the christian believers during the time that the new testament was written for in the new testament we read about the persecutions and sufferings of these early christians that they had to endure at the hands of the authorities for example we know from hebrews 10 verse 32 and following that some of them were exposed to insult and they were even put into prison and they had their property confiscated. And elsewhere in the New Testament, we read about those who were killed because of their beliefs. That's something that doesn't happen to us today either. We live at a much different time in this country. We do not really have those kinds of enemies. We can be thankful for that. But this afternoon, I want us to take a closer look at that. For if we do not have any enemies, then about half of this Lord's Day doesn't really apply to us. And is that really true? No, it isn't. As we will see, we need to know about who our enemies are, also today, and also about the comfort we need. And through it all, we have to keep remembering that in spite of all these things happening around us, God governs all things. The theme for this afternoon's sermon is as follows. In the midst of enmity, the risen Lord God comforts His Church and governs all things. And we will see that He comforts and governs in the first place right now, and in the second place into eternity. Who are our enemies today? Are you even aware of them? Do we even have them? This may sound strange to you, but if you do not have any enemies, then there is a real cause for concern. Let me explain. I am not speaking here about enemies that we have because of who we are personally, because of the things we do and say as such because we do make enemies because how we conduct ourselves sometimes. Some people, even though they are Christians, can be quite selfish and inconsiderate in their actions and thereby earn the ire and wrath of others. If you are somebody who doesn't know how to mind his own business, who is frequently grouchy and who has a bad temper, and who says and does many bad things against other people, then you are likely to acquire enemies. Especially if you're the kind of person that doesn't want to admit to any kind of wrongdoing, if you're stubborn and unrepentant. Then you have enemies through your own fault. In such a case, you have to examine yourself. You can also get enemies because somebody is jealous of you. For it may be that you set yourself up as someone who is superior because of your moral outlook, or your material wealth, or your position in society, or your education, etc. And if that is the case, then that is also a matter of self examination. But those are not the kinds of enemies that the catechism is referring to here. The Catechism has in mind the enemies we have because of who we are as Christians. But that still doesn't get us very far. For what does it mean to be a Christian? How can a true Christian who is full of the love of God cause any offense? For you see, that is what most people think of when they think of a Christian. Christian is someone who is long suffering, kind, full of love, never condemning, always cheerful and joyful, and accepting everybody the way that they are. We, of course, do not agree with such a list. We do, of course, agree that we should be long suffering and kind and loving, etc. But there is another element. Love implies choice. It means that you reject the one in favor of the other. That's also how God loves. He says, for example, that he loved Jacob, but that he hated Esau. He hates sin, and he hates all those who want to live in sin. That's also what we confess here in this Lord's Day. We confess here that God is the God of judgment and that his son will come again as judge from heaven to cast all those who do not repent from their sin into everlasting condemnation. But do your neighbors, your coworkers, your worldly friends, Do they know that that is what you believe? Or do they only see the mushy side of Christianity? As we saw last week during the political debate, people are shocked when there is someone running for office who expresses the biblical teaching that sinners will suffer in the lake of fire. They condemned him for it and want to bar him from running for public office. People are deeply offended. And that's something we don't want to do, is it? We don't want to offend people. And that is why in our personal lives, we are nice to our fellow workers, to our neighbors, to our friends in the world. We don't want to tell them, do we, that they stand condemned if they don't repent from their sins? Because we know that that might then make them uncomfortable or angry and maybe think less of us. And We know that then they might even turn out to be our enemies. Of course, we have to be careful in the way that we speak to our neighbors about these things. You don't first of all come with the condemnation of God, but you do come with God's love for those who repent. We do have to come in a positive atmosphere and a message to others, and we have to do that in humility, not with a superior attitude. All that goes without saying. That is how a Christian deals with others. But the point is, do you and I, do we dare to take it to the next level? Do we dare to communicate in one way or to the other to one of our colleagues or to one of our friends in the neighborhood that you do not agree with their lifestyle and that they need to repent and that else they will be burning in the lake of fire? Do you want to take your relationship with your neighbor to that level? Do you love your neighbor enough to take him to that point? No doubt, when you do that, you're going to make enemies. But I'm afraid that's the nature of Christianity. The Lord Jesus Himself said that He did not come to bring peace, but to bring the sword. And already in Genesis, the message was given that God came to place enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Brothers and sisters, we are engaged in a battle against the evil one. And Satan is always going to have people in his grip who will turn on you if you remind them of the condemnation that awaits all those who belong to the devil. As a matter of fact, most people will condemn you, and they will ridicule you. Isn't that what happened to the Lord Jesus himself? He came as a light into this world full of darkness, as John says in the first chapter of his gospel. But as he says further, the darkness has not understood it. John says that although the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him and his own did not receive him. All the apostles and the disciples of the Lord Jesus experienced the same thing. Just think about what Paul had to endure. Most people became his enemies and yet because of the word that he spoke, many did come to believe. They repented from their sins and they threw themselves at the mercy of God. And the Lord God also expects that from you and from me. He does not want us to be afraid of making enemies for the sake of the cross, because they're not our enemies in the first place, but his enemies look at what happened to the people in colossi they heard the word of god proclaimed to them and they joyfully accepted god's word as the truth and as a result they could not help but also proclaim also share the good news of the gospel the good news of salvation do you think that it did not cost those colossians anything to do that? It certainly did. It cost them friendships. It cost them jobs. It cost them financial security. And no doubt, their newfound faith also caused rifts in their families. The cost was great for these people. And that is why Paul also encourages and comforts them. And he commends them for their zeal for the Lord. For because of them, the message of salvation spread all over the world, as he says. Even though many of the people that he came into contact with became their enemies, many others came to faith. And so Paul rejoices because of their witness. Let me ask you, it's a hard question, but would God also commend you and me for our witness? For the fact that we dare to stand up and speak the truth about the gospel of salvation, which is only for those who believe in God and who repent from their sins, for the fact that we too dare to make enemies for the sake and for the truth of the gospel? No doubt you are concerned about others whom you admire and like, and yet they are part of the world. Do you also dare to tell those people that they stand condemned? if they do not repent? Do you love your neighbor enough to make yourself vulnerable for his or her sake? Brothers and sisters, this Lord's Day is a wonderful summary of God's word. It says there that Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of the church, and that by his power he defends and preserves us against all enemies. The almighty God in heaven defends and preserves us. That is what you and I confess. Then why are you afraid? For if that is something you confess, then that is something you truly believe and you put your hope and trust in, isn't it? Well, sure, it's hard. But we believe that Christ ascended into heaven and that he is now seated at the right hand of God. He sits, or as Stephen said just before he was martyred, he stands at the right hand of God. Present tense. He stands there ready to go into action, to go to our defense. He is standing ready all the time to do that for you and for me. The right hand of God refers to a place of majesty and favor and power. Our Lord Jesus Christ is there as our representative. He is our spokesman. And we have to be his spokesman. Christ who is seated at the right hand of God has all the power in heaven and on earth. Paul says to the Colossians that Christ is seated at the right hand of God and that He is there as head of the body, the church. As head, He is the spokesman. He represents the body. And He shed His blood for the church, His body, so that nothing and no one can any longer harm us. And as head of the church, he rules, not with an iron fist, not in a mimsco way, not in an arbitrary way. He rules together with the Father and the Holy Spirit. His rule is one which, as Paul says, reflects the fullness of God. As the head of the body, as the head of the church, of you and me, He deeply cares for His Church. He cares about you in the midst of the battle against your enemies. Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head, knows what it is like to be treated as a nobody, nobody, to be ridiculed, and to be unjustly treated in every possible way. And so he also understands when we suffer the rejection of others. But he does not want us to be ashamed of him and of the claims that he makes. Are you ashamed of him? Let it not be said of you. He does not want us to keep our mouths shut about him as if he doesn't care. About anybody else he cares and he wants the gospel to be spread throughout the whole world that is the command that he gave just before he ascended into heaven go out and make disciples of all nations and he wants to use you and me and in this way he wants to prepare you and this whole world for eternal life. As you know, the Lord God does not just rule now, He rules always. There will be no end to His rule. Question and answer 52 asks What comfort it is to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? And it's speaking here about the final day. You know what the final day is, don't you? It's the day of judgment. It says in the catechism that he is going to judge the living and the dead, who are the dead. That refers to those people who do not know God, those people who are now perishing because they want to live in their sins and because they do not want to repent from their sins. And that, indeed, is quite frightening. And that's not really something that we want to think about or talk about not for ourselves and not for others. But please remember that it is Christ who is the judge. He is the one who judges. And that makes all the difference. He is a just judge. He is full of love. Anyone who repents from his sins may receive the forgiveness of sins and may have eternal life. And therefore, as Christians, we may eagerly await him from heaven. We may look forward to the day of judgment. Because for all who believe, it will be a day of vindication and glorification. How Paul rejoiced because the people at Colossae had escaped the judgment of God by coming to faith. He says with great joy, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. He says, that is the wonderful news. That is the gospel that you have heard. And it is through that gospel that you are saved. When you tell others that wonderful gospel of salvation, you will certainly make enemies. But you will also bring others to repentance so that they do not have to stand there on that final day and be condemned eternity in hell. The Lord Jesus Christ rules. He rules now and into eternity. But he only rules there where he is acknowledged as a loving creator of all things, as he who came down to earth to die for sinners, for me and for you and for all those who believe in him. If we make enemies because of that wonderful message of salvation, then so be it. In the meantime, God will vindicate us and commend us for sharing the gospel of truth. Amen.